When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 317, and we are recording on February 8th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. Good morning. It took me all six tries to get today's (laughs) Wordle, and I was very stressed out about it because I had three of the letters in the right spots on my third word, Yes. but then there are a lot of words that it could have been, and I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to get it, but I did. Phew. Few. I have, yes, I had the same experience. I got the <laughs> three middle or one, two, I got the two of the middle ones and one on the end. And then yes. that, of course, can be 15,000 yes. different things. Yes. So I also got to six. I recently had my first one that I didn't get. <gasps> and it was just my identity as a word person yes. has been called into question. I was very upset just getting. I wasn't. Oh upset. my goodness! But it was frustrating. I was like, "What is it? I don't understand." <laughs> I've been, I've come very close. I don't think I've had a day where I, or maybe I did have. I can't remember now. If I did, I blocked it. It's totally possible. I've had a day where I didn't get it. I have noticed that there's a um, window. There's like a wordle mm. window for my brain where oh. I cannot do it before coffee. I cannot do it after like three because my brain starts to turn off. That's I fascinating. I have to do it between like it, during working hours. I have to do wordle. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of wordle, <laughs> do you appreciate the segue? We have wordle inspired merch available. We have hoodies. We have t-shirts. We have a cool little mug that like just calls out to you to be drinking coffee while you do your wordle or after mm. because as I have said I need to be caffeinated before I can do it. <laughs> um, so if you go to bookriot.com slash merch you will see all of our wordle inspired merch of course the words that we picked for this design are book related and reading related so it's really the center like the white hot center of an interest Venn diagram <laughs> that includes wordle and reading and book nerdery so go check that out <laughs> anyway um so as for as for the show this right. is a show for reading recommendations so if you need one of those because you have a reading hole in your life or you have a book club coming up or you need a gift or whatever you can send those to us via email at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop your request in the form on the show notes uh, at the bottom of the show notes on the site if your request is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line. If you're using the form, just put it in big letters so that we can see it in the like Google Doc where we keep all of the <laughs> form submissions. And I think that's it. We don't have any feedback this week, so we are just going to move forward. Our first question – oh, I forgot to put who's reading it beside it. It's Jen. Jen's going to read our it's first me. question, <laughs> which is a fast-tracked question. Thank you so much for that. Um, and then we will hear from our first sponsor, and away we will go. All right. Our first question – is from I don't know who. Sorry, if we forgot yeah, to put that's your my name bad. in. I forgot that's to okay. <laughs> anyway, they are asking for suggestions for what I'm calling sweet and heartfelt queer magical stories. Two books I loved that scratched this itch for me are *The House in the Cerulean Sea* by T.J. Klune and *Payback's a Witch* by Lana Harper. Woo woo! Uh, I liked how in both there was hardship and sad things, but through that, people were kind and good to one another, and that queer relationships and people were just a normal part of life. I also loved that the magical content was kind of quaint. Mm-hmm. I'd love suggestions for some read-alikes to one or both of those titles. Oh, we have them, but first, our sponsor. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 
and she's like the best she's brilliant charismatic quick-witted funny they fall in love but the thing is she's number six so if he is to have seven great loves does that mean his time with arena is going to come to an end so this is a love letter to western pop culture eastern traditions and being a first generation new yorker make sure to check it out and thanks again to flat iron books publisher of 888 love and the divine burden of numbers by abraham chang for sponsoring this episode <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Can I just keep going? I'm really yes. excited about my pick. I'm reading yes. it right now. Okay. So my pick for you is The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagoner, which is more oldie time. I mean, significantly <laughs> more oldie time than either of the books that you referenced. This one is set in like a, you know, Regency England-ish secondary world. And the two main characters, well, really, we're in Delaria's head the whole time. So Delaria is a con artist. She is from uh, like much, she's from the lowest class, you know, her mother. Oh, right. Here's where I give some content warnings. I'm, I'm not done with this book, but so far, the thing that I think could be difficult for some people, and I speak from experience here, is that there is a lot of reference to drug use, addiction, and drug-related morally gray choices. So, like, if that's not something you want in your, like, they deal with hard things, but it's happy uh, fiction, you might want to skip this one. Okay. So Delaria's mother is a drug addict. It's like a magical drug in this situation. And she's she's grown up pretty rough. So she is she's a con artist, like also kind of a thief, also a fire witch like you do. And she is trying to find a job because she has to pay her rent. And she finds a wanted ad for some for someone seeking female persons of martial or magical ability to guard a lady. And she's like, sure, fine, I'll take that. I have I have fire magic. That's pretty martial. And she ends up in this like really amazing group of women who have been hired to guard this like highfalutin lady who is the target of assassinations, the why and then what happens next is like the meat of the book. I'm not going to tell you anything. It is a sapphic romance, but Delhi is like... I want to say pansexual, like she's very open. And it's super matter of fact. It's delightful. The romance is really sweet. There's like a necromantic mouse named Buttons. Like this is just a really enjoyable book. I I couldn't, I, I'm really loving it. And I think it's exactly what you're looking for. So again, that's The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. I had to go to the contributors for this one, mostly because of the sweet part. Like, I can find you queer magical stories, but they're not all, you know what I mean? Like, they're not Amanda all Amanda doesn't be... do sweet. No, I'm it's hard kidding. for me. It's hard for me. I'm not, I'm not naturally drawn. Anyway, okay, so I went to the contributors, and our contributor, Margaret, recommends Girl, Serpent, Thorn by Melissa Basherduce, which is based on Persian fairy tales and is about a, I guess she's kind of a princess or, you know, a very high-ranking aristocrat named Soraya, who is cursed. She has been told that she has the blood of a div, which is like a demon, living in her body. And so anyone she touches, so her her touch is poisonous, essentially. It's very rogue from the X-Men. Like, if she touches mm. you, you're going to die. She does not absorb any powers in any kind of cool way, but you're going to die. So she's been kind of exiled to live in this garden um, in a castle by herself. 
And she is, like, not mad about it. You know, like, she kind of understands that she is a dangerous person. She's not trying to hurt anyone. But then a boy comes into her life who, I say that because you're asking me for queer stories, and it is queer, so just hang with me. A boy comes into her life who has captured a div in the neighboring village and has put it in the dungeon and feels like this creature has seek a secret or some sort of information or knowledge that will help Soraya overcome her curse. So she goes down to the dungeon to talk to her and talk to her she does. Hey, hey. And that's all I'm going to say. So there is a lot of like that kind of sleeping beauty atmosphere. It's very fairy tale-ish. You can feel the mm. influence of a lot of different kind of stories. Um, even if you're not familiar with Persian fairy tales, fairy tales are like very universal. The archetypes are familiar and across most cultures. So you're going to recognize a lot of elements. But it is, even though like, you know, it's dangerous. Like if she touches you, you're going to die. There's a lot of kind of darkness going on. And Melissa Bashardus is sort of known for writing kind of that dark sort of YA uh, vibe. But the romantic element, in my opinion, is pretty sweet. So, <laughs> you know, grain of salt, because I, I feel like my sweetness uh, level is skewed. But I also loved House in Cerulean Sea. So I'm like, I'm with you there. So that's Girl Serpent Thorn by Melissa Bashardus. All right. Our next question is from Tanel, who says, I have a personal challenge to try to read a book for every country in the world, preferably written by someone from that country. I was wondering if you could recommend me some from countries that are super popular in fiction or nonfiction, a hidden gem of sorts. I primarily read romance, fantasy, and I'm starting to get more into sci-fi, but I'm open to any genres except thrillers or horror. Okay, Jen, what you got? All right. I am giving you Old Drift by Namwali Serpel, which takes place in Zambia, which I have literally never read another book mm. set in Zambia. So I thought maybe you also had not. I will say that this book is heavy because colonialism. So content warnings <laughs> for racism and racial slurs, rape and harm to children. It's it's rough in some spots, but man, is it good, y'all. Oh, whew. I mean, it, it's three generations of three families, so approximately 300 years and starts in the early 1900s. So there's this historical fiction element. Then it goes through contemporary times and then it goes a little bit into the future, which is where like, and it's sort of an alternate possible future. So it gets a little sci-fi in a really interesting way. So it's like sort of a genre mashup. And yeah, you're following both white and Zambian characters as they interact with the landscape, as they interact with each other. There's like a sort of chorus of, is it mosquitoes? Is it ghosts? Question mark. <laughs> like there's this really interesting narrative structure to it. And I don't want to tell you too much about the plot because I don't feel like it right now. Like, I just want you to, like, dive into this and be ready to be just completely swept away into this story. And it's, I mean, it's so worth it. It is just really freaking amazing. This won a prize that I can't remember which one it won right now, but it won a prize. It's an award winner. And you can really tell when you read it. So, again, that's The Old Drift by Namwali Serpel. Um, I picked Tentacle by Rita Indiana, which was translated by Ashio Bejas and is from the Dominican Republic, which I also, as Jen said with Old Drift, had never read anything from the DR or not that I could remember. And even if I could remember it, this book would have wiped it out of my mouth, previous <laughs> Dominican literature from my brain, because this is, I'm not, the weirdest thing I've ever read in my life. But it hits so many different genres um some many of which you listed like it's got some fantasy stuff it's got some sci-fi stuff it's got some tr uh, time travel it's so weird so the main character's name is Isilde, and at the beginning of the book, she's a maid who is living in Santo Domingo, which is the capital, and she's got, like, some trauma from growing up um, and was working as a sex worker and then gets, like, kind of picked up to work as a maid for this very wealthy psychic who works for the president of the country. Uh, and so she steals stuff a little bit from this woman who has a lot of money, including but not limited to a um, sea anemone that lives in a, what you call it? Oh my gosh, what's the thing where fish live aquarium, in? Aquarium. Thank you. Who lives in an aquarium <laughs> in the psychic's house? Uh, turns out the sea anemone is actually like the piece of a sea god that helps people time travel. There are tons of queer characters, including the main character. There's like, it's a also, it's also a post-apocalyptic environmental catastrophe novel. Mm. So the DR um, is surrounded in real life by these like beautiful reefs and coral reefs and things like that. And all of those have been destroyed. And the sea anemone, sea god thing is like here to help characters prevent that from happening in a lot of ways. So there's just 
look, it sounds weird because it is. Like, there's so <laughs> much going on in this book. And it's really, really slim. It's only, it's not even 200 pages. It's like 150 pages. But all of this time travel and colonialism and queer politics and discussion of, uh, like, the indigenous people of the DR. All of, and this, like, environmental catastrophe, art, communism. Like, it's all shoved into these 150 or so pages in this really, really brilliant, unputdownable, super weird way. You have to read it. So that's Tentacle by Rita Indiana. I mean, cosine. Obviously. <laughs> so, is so intense. Uh, okay, next question is from Francis, who says, I'm really sad. What should I read? The only things I know I don't want are hopeless, miserable books or totally happy, distracting books. But other than that, anything, fiction, poetry, memoir, self-help, whatever. I'm not mostly sad about a death, so something that acknowledges many types of loss and grieving would be good, too. I'm sorry you're sad, Francis. Mm. That's hard. It's hard when you're just sad. I'm just going to keep going again. I picked The Book of Delights by Ross Gay, which is, in fact, a delight, as you might guess from the title. This is sort of like tiny, short essayettes. They're very, very short. And they were written over the course of a year. And Gay is a poet, but these are not poetry. They're prose. And but, you know, the language is obviously extremely poetic. What I thought about when I picked this was that I know what you mean about not wanting something that's just like the happiest, cheerfulest or something that's like the the darkest, darkest. And I think Gay does a really amazing job in this book that is literally called The Book of Delights of balancing how sometimes the hard things are where we find joy and sometimes where we can find joy if we look hard enough. And sometimes they're not. And sometimes like it's really easy to find joy and sometimes it's really not. And the way that he approaches life's ups and downs is so soothing. Like this book is incredibly soothing. And I think also what I've discovered when I'm struggling with sadness and depression is that sometimes it's really hard to focus for any length of time. Mm. And these are so short. You can read 10 in a row. You can read two. You can read half of one. Like, it doesn't matter. It's going to be fine. There's no plot to pay attention to. You don't need to, like, remember what happened 10 pages ago in order to move on. So if you're struggling with focus, this is going to be totally fine for you. And yeah, Roske is amazing. So that's The Book of Delights by Roske. All right. I picked From Scratch by Tembi Locke, who I didn't realize was related to Attica Locke until like last right. year. And I'm just going to say that every time I mention this book now. It's because so cool. I can't believe my own like, I don't know. Uh, uh, I can't believe I didn't know. That's it. That's all I have. <laughs> all right. So From Scratch is Tembi Locke's memoir. She's an actress. And when she was a young, young, like 18, 19 college student kid, she traveled to Florence and met a man named Sorrow on the street who swept her off her feet and they fell deeply, madly in love in Italy, which is like everybody's dream when you go <laughs> to, to Florence to be swept off your feet by like a beautiful Italian chef. And the, uh, you know, wrinkle here is that his very traditional Sicilian family did not want him marrying a black American actress. Like no part of her identity was mm. acceptable to them. But they did anyway. They moved to California and had a daughter. And then her husband Sorrow gets, gets diagnosed with cancer and dies very early, you know, in the book. Like, this is a memoir of what she does after that. So he dies and she takes her daughter, who at that at that time is like seven, back to Sicily because her family, or because she has like inherited some property that he owns in Sicily. Um, and so she goes and like makes good with his family. Like, they, it's not that they reconcile because they had learned to live with each other through the course of their marriage up until the point where when Sarah died. So it's not, you know, like they weren't fighting or anything like that. But it's it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Her, her mother-in-law doesn't speak a ton of English. Like, it's just, what? how do I, what do I do here, you know? But there's the child to consider, and she owns this property now, this, like, family property. Mm -hmm. So she goes, and she starts spending a lot of time in Sicily, in this really, really small village where her husband was from, living with her mother-in-law and like learning to speak really good Italian, having her daughter just like run the streets with the chickens, you know, and figuring out what she wants to do with her life now that she doesn't have her partner. And like how much of this part of his life does she want to hold on to, especially in, in regards to her daughter. So there is sadness here, obviously, 
as the title says, she is starting over from scratch after the death of her husband. But it's not entirely from scratch because she has this sort of built in family community who, despite the like not great way they treated her at first, has come around and opened their minds and are very welcoming to her. There's a really great scene near the end where she, um, like a strange, like a group of tourists comes through town and they are very, very obnoxious and like crash a car into something. And she, along with the rest of the villagers, conspire to like run them out of town. And she just feels very accepted <laughs> in that moment of like, no, I'm considered an insider. You and people are the outsiders now you know and like that kind of acceptance from this very insular community is just kind of a joyous thing <laughs> to what it's very petty and i appreciated it but yeah it's really heartwarming there's a lot of tuck of food there's a lot of recipes and even in this like s- extremely sad i mean possibly one of the saddest circumstances that someone can experience she learns how to move on without forgetting the feeling, which I think is really important. So that is From Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home by Tempe Locke. All right. Our next question is so fascinating. I and know. it's from April, <laughs> who says, I realize this may be a weird one, but I'm hoping you can find me a book with a similar feel as the Burn Butcher Burn song from The Witcher Season 2. And then she linked us to the full song. Essentially, it's just an angry, sad, unrequited love, heartbreak song. I'm not looking for YA, a graphic novel, or angst. I kind of just want to read about someone working through anger on a personal level, not related to a large-scale injustice. I have many of those on my list already. It doesn't even necessarily need to be about a relationship, though that is my preference. LGBTQ plus welcome. All right, Jen, what you got? I Is this the first time we've ever matched a song? I think it might yeah. be. I, I love had, yes. this. Yeah. <laughs> also, April, thank you for reminding me that I have not started watching Witcher Season 2 yet because it's <laughs> on my list. And Yaskier and Gerald are 100% my OTP. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, okay. Anyway, so I really loved that you asked this question. So I, this was, it was a little tricky though. I don't know why. I think this is not an unusual trope. I just, for whatever reason, my brain would not go at this in a straight line. So I'm a little bit sideways here, but I think you're going to like my pick, which is a novella. It's Burning Roses by S.L. Huang. Um, this does come with a content warning for animal death and child abuse. Um, so there's some dark stuff in it, but it's about, it's a, it's a fairy tale retelling a cross-cultural fairy tale retelling uh it's got a like latine rosa red riding hood and oyi uh archer from chinese mythology like banding together to take out the deadly sunbirds and they each have an extremely complicated relationship behind them and so the two of them are kind of just like buddies on a quest but as they travel together you start to find out more and more about like how they got here and like what the relationship in their past that went so horribly wrong and like that they are trying to process actively um, as they go on this quest together was and like what's going to happen next and I think it really digs into these like oh, like, I messed this up, or, like, this person screwed me over, or, like, I just have so many feelings about this person, which is, like, 100% what Burn Butcher Burn, or Burn Butcher Burn is. So, like, that, that's what this this book is, or this novella, excuse me. And also, it's an amazing, magical world. I think you're going to love the world building that Huang does. I think you're just, I mean, the characters are great. It is queer. It's, it's just fantastic. Uh, so, again, that's Burning Roses by S.L. Huang. Uh, same. Thanks for the reminder that season two is out because I watched the first season and then totally forgot about it, as is my habit with all things, including book series. But uh, this was a delightful video to watch, even though I have no idea what's going on, except that I love the two of them together. The relationship is amazing. So I picked The Woman Upstairs by Claire Massoud, which is uh, about a woman named Nora who's 37. She's an elementary school teacher in Massachusetts. And the first time I read this book, I was in my early 30s and thought that sounded quite old. And now I'm 37 and I'm like, oh, she's a baby. So Nora is like the titular woman upstairs. She's single. She's a teacher. She doesn't have her own biological children. And so she is just kind of being shoved to the fringe. You know, like she's nice. She's tidy. She doesn't make noise. She doesn't make trouble. She's and she's like very full of anger about all of that. And then a new kid comes comes into her class named Reza. His parents are Skander, who is a Lebanese scholar, who is like very dashing, and his artist, his Italian artist wife named Serena. And they're just like glamorous and beautiful. And they've come to Massachusetts so that he can have a fellowship at Harvard. Um, And Reza is 
bullied in Nora's class. You know, the kids call him a terrorist and all that. And so she gets involved with the parents in order to discuss the child. And in that way, gets really drawn into their family world and falls in love with the family, both as a unit and with the individual members of the family, including the wife. There is a big blow up betrayal after she has like poured her heart out to these people. And it is from that betrayal that the book like, this rage sort of comes out. And you can feel a lot of the things, you know, Burn, Burn, Butcher, Burn is about all of that. Like betrayal, rage. I can't believe this is the person that you actually are when I thought you were this other way. I can't believe you devalued our relationship this much when it meant so much to me, I think is kind of the main theme of Mm. that, of that whole relationship in The Witcher and is very much the main theme of the relationship Nora has with this family and the woman upstairs. So there, like, it, it does, it is a little bit about large-scale injustices, like, mostly around sexism and the way that we don't care about women after they are, quote-unquote, too old to be sexy to men, you know? And the main relationship is actually between Nora and Serena, the wife. Um, and so it's, there. there is a kind of sideways coming at big social injustices, but this is mostly a book about one woman being really pissed off at somebody who treats her badly. So that's the woman, the woman upstairs by Claire Massoud. All right. Our next question is from Caroline, who says, The story collection Kink got me out of a post-PhD reading slump, and I want more. I loved it for its queerness and its exploration of BDSM as a set of complicated practices that can tell us a lot about desire, identity, gender, and complex power dynamics that exist in and outside the bedroom or the dungeon. I'm not really looking for erotica or romance, just stories where non-normative sexuality is portrayed in nuanced ways. I've read work by most of the people published in that collection, so I'd like something new. Can you help? We sure can. (laughs) Okay, so my pick for you is Weekend by Jane Eaton Hamilton, which comes for a whole passel of content warnings because this is this is amazing. This is an amazing deep dive into two queer relationships, but it is they are messy. They are messy, 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 messy. And like these characters unintentionally and sometimes intentionally are doing harm to each other as they also try to like love each other. So it's com- it's hashtag complicated. Um, so our content warnings are racism, transphobia, infertility and miscarriage, intimate partner violence, death by suicide, ableism, hospitalization for chronic illness and dead naming. Not all of these things happen on the page, but are potentially referenced and are pretty prevalent so like it's it's a rough book but in in like i think a really smart useful worth it way so the sort of setting is the in like it's in canada i can't remember where apologies where they these two couples have summer cottages like right next to each other on this like islandy getaway place and so the first couple to it's a lesbian couple they have recently had a child and the birth mother is like literally like days out from delivery. So that's like body messy, right? And also hormone messy, like things are very intense. And there that couple is struggling to like figure out like their footing now that they are parents and it was a really long road to get there and like how are they gonna, you know, do this thing. And then the other couple is a biracial couple. Or well, one of the women is black, the other one is white. And um there's like some complicated stuff going on. And there is BDSM involved in the complicated stuff, which then is complicated in its own way. Like it's very, this book just digs into all of these complications that come with being humans in the world, having different kinds of desire, like how do you interact with your partner in all of these different ways? What is the context in which you're interacting? Like there's so many big, intense questions about trust and love and negotiation. And like you said, nuance, like this book is all about the nuances of desire and relationships and how we navigate those. And I thought it was really powerful. It is not going to be for everyone. Hence, like my, you know, caveats and content warnings. But man, is it is it I think you're I think you are going to love it specifically. So again, that's Weekend by Jane Eaton Hamilton. Okay, I picked Next Year for Sure by Zoe Lee Peterson, um, which is about a couple named Catherine and Chris, who I think live in Canada. Doesn't matter. Uh, Catherine and Chris, they have been together for like a floppity jillion years, you know, almost a decade. They've got a very well-worn sofa of a relationship. It's comfortable. It's casual. 
They're, they're on the same track together, all of that. Until Chris meets a woman at the laundromat named Emily, who is a little younger than him, a little more outgoing than him, a little more charming than him, and can't stop talking about her. So Catherine encourages Chris to go do something about it. They have several conversations, decide that they will institute an open relationship, and Chris goes on a few dates with Emily, and then one thing kind of leads to another, but maybe not always the thing that you think. Uh, meanwhile, Catherine is just working through it. Like, this is... I picked this book because it, it is about polyamory, and that is still very non-normative in, like, Western society, and it's a kind of almost boring <laughs> portrayal <laughs> of polyamory. Like, it's just a very normal couple who encounters someone that one of the people is attracted to and decide to try a thing. Like, it, it, when you say it... When you just say the mm. thing that it is, it sounds very, like, shrug face. But the reality of making that kind of thing happen in a relationship um, when that wasn't the way that the relationship started, like, you have to establish all these boundaries. You have to figure out the rules. You have to figure out what you're comfortable with. And in a lot of cases, and, and that's how it is in the book, it's a trial by error where, like, people's feelings get hurt. You discover that you're not comfortable with the thing because your partner went ahead and did it. And now you have to have a fight about it. You know, like, all of that messy, sobby very human kind of stuff when two people have put their lives together and then are deciding to let other people in it, maybe sometimes kind of question mark. Like it's just mess, <laughs> mess, 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 mess. So I think that, I don't know, I can make a tech talk about how like portrayals of quote unquote non-normative sexuality are just honest portrayals about how honest human relationships are. Right. Yes. Um, Cause that's all that, that's all that they really are. Um, but that's maybe I'll save that for another time. Thank you for coming to my abbreviated TED talk. That is next year for sure by Zoe Lee Peterson. And now it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a, a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Credit Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. All right. Question five is from Emily, who says, I'm looking for older coming of age stories that have a higher quality of writing than YA. I've been enjoying stories about protagonists figuring life out in their 20s. I feel there aren't as many novels about this age group, or if there are, I'm not finding them. Examples that I've enjoyed are Chemistry by Wiki Wang, per your recommendation, Sweet Better by Stephen Dandler, and The Mothers by Britt Bennett, and of course, all of Sally Rooney. I tried Norwegian Wood, and while I thought that the writing was beautiful, the characters don't interest me as much. Character development and dialogue are the most interesting parts of the novel for me. I'm much more of a novel reader, but I'm willing to try memoirs if they fit. Okay, Jen, what you got? 
I just want to, you know, can't resist a caveat about know, there's great know. writing in YA. <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> saying there's great writing in YA. Uh, okay, but I'm giving you what you want, which is a character in their 20s figuring their stuff out because this is also, I mean, yes, we're getting some great stories. We're getting these, we are getting these and they are great. Uh, my pick for you, uh, surprising potentially no one who's listened to this show for a hot minute, is Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. I love it. It's so good. And it's <laughs> what you are looking for. Uh, Grace Porter is... Is 28. She has just completed her PhD in astronomy. She is a black woman in the sciences, so you can guess how quote unquote easy that has been for her. And so she gets talked into going to Vegas by her two best friends to like let off some steam, like you did the thing, hooray. And in the process of going to Vegas, she gets drunk, she meets somebody, and she ends up marrying a woman who she doesn't know her name. She wakes up the next morning. All she has is this like calling card for a podcast. She's like, what did I do? There's like some Polaroids of them like literally getting married. And she's like, boy, what? I had a night. Um, (laughs) And her friends are like, I'm sorry, who are you? Like, this is not the kind of thing Grace Porter does. Like, her father is ex-military. Like, she leads a very, like, you know, overachiever, like, STEM-oriented, like, achieve, like, achieve, achieve, achieve. Like, that is her life. She doesn't do spontaneous. She doesn't do surprise getting married. Like, that's not a thing that she does. But she is really struggling post-graduation. Like, she's not getting the job opportunities that she feels like she should because of racism. She's struggling with parent expectations. She's struggling with anxiety and burnout. Um, And she just, like, she just can't hack it. So she's like, all right, I'm going to call this wife that I don't know who lives in New York and be like, hi, can I come hang out with you? And we'll see if this goes anywhere. And that's what this story is. And I love it so much. It is just, ugh, it's so good on the feelings. Like, I just love the characters. I love the writing. The writing is beautiful. Um, and I love the way that Rogers portrays, like, yeah, how hard it is, especially when you're in your late 20s where you're like, I have ticked every box. Like, I've done all the things. Why am I not happy? Why don't I feel good? Why do I feel terrible all the time? Like, that is a really real problem, especially for folks in marginalized communities. And I love how Rogers tackles it. So again, that's Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. Okay, I picked Luster by Raven Lalani, which is about a black woman living in Brooklyn. She's in her mid to late 20s and is just a train wreck. Like, just. (laughs) So she works in publishing at some, like, very... Uh, kind of boring job that she doesn't super like. Um, she has a habit of sleeping with all of her coworkers and her bosses and her employees in really inappropriate ways, makes terrible choices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She's just kind of self-destructing, not on purpose, but, you know, is doing it anyway. Um, and then she meets a man named Eric, who's a digital archivist who works in the city but lives in New Jersey with his wife and his child. His wife and him have recently decided to have an open marriage. This is an accidental theme, I'm just going to say. <laughs> right now, I did not intend to do this. Uh, but have decided to have an open marriage. And so she gets involved with him. The wife becomes like pretty uncomfortable with the whole thing, shuts it down. So she loses that relationship at the same time that she loses her job, at the same time that she's like about to lose her apartment. And then she does lose her apartment. And she starts doing like DoorDash or, or something similar, like food delivery and one night delivers food to a hospital coroner's office and runs into the wife because the wife is the coroner, like the wife works there. And so they get to chatting (laughs) and the wife (laughs) invites her to stay in their house. And this begins the most cringy book (laughs) that I think I've ever read. So Edie moves in. Why she agrees to it, I don't know. I mean, she doesn't have anywhere else to go, so like I do know. So she agrees to this. Moves in with the wife, this man she used to sleep with, and their adopted daughter, who I think is 12, and who is black. Eric and his wife are are white. And so, and then money starts showing up on her, like, you know, what do you call it? Dresser, while she cleans stuff for them. And it just becomes more and more weird. They ask her to, like, help their daughter be black, essentially, like, help her do her hair. She's the only black person that this little girl knows. There's, like, a really awkward situation with the police at one point. But the whole time, the wife and Edie become, like, a weird version of friends as Edie's trying to figure out if this is who she is. Like, am I a person who does this sort of thing? And I'm, like, by by not making any choices to define myself, I have let the world define me. And what they have defined me as is, like, a mistress and a maid and, like, a nanny 
to a black girl who has no other black people in her life. And that is not okay. And so it's just about her trying to shake, ch- ch- like shake off all of that grossness that ennui and indecision have led her to. So it's very coming of age. The book has kind of middling reviews because it suffers from that thing where like if there's a woman people don't like in a book they down they don't read it very well mm. if there's a woman they don't like in a book who ha- dares to be brown or black of course it's going to get downrated even further because how dare you be a fully formed person with flaws <laughs> so i am like i don't normally say this but i will say ignore the reviews on this book and like go in it with your own opinions and see what you come out with so that's luster by raven lalani All right. Our next question is from Andy, who says, we are looking for sapphic stories involving some type of time travel. It can be a romance that happens to involve time travel or a plot heavy story that happens to have a sapphic couple slash characters, preferably no YA, but we are open to it. Um, Yeah, sure. I have for you The Psychology of Time Travel by Kate Mascarenas, which I love. It's so good. And it's really sort of I think singular in that a lot of people have done time travel, but I've never seen anybody do it this way exactly. Um, It does come with content warnings for bullying, disordered eating, and harm to children. It is a, I think it's like somewhere in the middle of what you're describing. Like it is very character focused, but it's also very plotty because it's a murder mystery. Um, It's like a locked room murder mystery with time travel, but also women in STEM and like complicated complicated relationships um, because time travel. So uh, it starts in the late 1960s. There are four female scientists working together to build a time machine and they actually do it. Like they do it. They are in England like building a time machine and they do it. Um, And they each take a turn like, you know, testing it on themselves because, you know, human testing and time travel is a complicated scientific needle to thread. And right about as they're about to, like, reveal it, like, they've done all the tests, they've crossed the T's, they've dotted the I's, they've got the paperwork. One of them has been so affected by using it that she has a nervous breakdown and has to be hospitalized. And they basically, they're so afraid of the impact this will have on their discovery that they, like, erase her existence, more or less. Like, they don't talk about her in the media. Like, it's like she didn't work on it. Like, it's, they just, they barrel forward, refusing to acknowledge that this is what has happened. And then, like, 50 years later, it has become a a corporate entity. Like, so time travel is not used by a government. It's, like, one corporate entity controls the whole thing. So they're obviously extremely powerful. And uh, there's a 20-something named Ruby who, like, knows that her grandmother was kind of involved, but she is the grandmother. She's the woman that has been erased from the narrative. Like, she doesn't really know what happened. You know, the grandmother is, like, not 100% there, so it's hard to, like, get facts out of her. And then there's this murder mystery that Ruby sort of witnesses or is like partially a witness to and everything swirls around itself and then the narrative structure is very jumpy but I think it works especially given the content and like the plot that we're dealing with here it's really interesting it's really fun Um, I'm obsessed with the cover of this book and I think you're gonna love it so again that's the psychology of time travel by Kate Mascarenas all right um, I sorry, I'm distracted by my yes, dog. Yes, Petunia barking has feelings also school. about time travel. <laughs> he might be barking at my wine fridge again because he's oh. discovered that he can see his reflection in it, but he doesn't realize it's himself. <laughs> so, like, he sees a dog in the glass of the wine fridge oh, and, then, and buddy. then tries to. He's just box of rocks in his head. Anyway, if you can hear my dog, y'all, I'm sorry. I picked "This Is How You Lose the Time War" by Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone, which is just. I listened to this book on audio, which I think is a great way to consume it because it is Mm. epistolary. It's told in a series of letters between two characters, both of whom are spies for different factions of this uh, kind of society that is uh, fighting a war through time. Like they are all they are time traveling spies. Uh, They're enemies. One is named Red. One is named Blue. And they begin egging each other on a bit like they are the top spies of their various you know societies and they realize pretty quickly that they are each other's kind of nemesis and so they start leaving each other messages uh, across time mostly at the beginning to like you know i bite my thumb at you sir kind of stuff like (laughs) i won this round sort of a thing um, as they start these battles over time but the letters get longer and then they get more personal and then they get 
more like, hey, leave me a note here. And then they just very obviously fall in love. You can't even say over time because it's Mm. like sometimes in the past and sometimes in the future. And it's all a little confusing in that way that time travel novels can be. But you just got to let it happen. And that's why I think listening to this on audio audio is great because you can't you can't really stop. I mean, you can. You can pause, but I don't. You can't really stop to like, wait, what's happening? Like, where are we in time? Mm. It doesn't matter. Like, you just let them just let them and their story take you through these threads of time across different like universes and planets. And you just travel all of space time with these two characters who were trying to kill each other and also love each other really deeply at the same time. (laughs) And I can't, I just love it so much. I love it so much. So there's a lot of like sci-fi stuff. There is, I mean, it's, it's obviously a romance. It's not steamy half the time. Most of the time they, they don't have any sort of, like they'll see each other fleetingly across a crowded whatever, you know, across a crowded whatever. That's very descriptive. <laughs> Show title. Yeah. But it's not like a steamy romance or, or they are getting to know each other through these messages that they're leaving, sometimes in ash, like sometimes in blood. It's just imaginative and weird and kooky and strange. And I loved it. So that's This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone. All right. Our last question is from Emily, who says, I'm, I've had trouble getting into romance before because I find most of the male-female dynamics off-putting. I'd like a female-female sci-fi or fantasy romance with some adversarial dynamic. Male-male uh, is also okay, but not male-female. Books with relationships I've liked are getting the ninth. This is how we lose the time war. Hey, mm-hmm. uh, The House on the Cerulean Sea and The Tiger's Daughter. Not too steamy, please. Okay, Jen, what you got? I have a duology for you. The first book is We Set the Dark on Fire by Taylor K. Mejia. And this is YA. It is, I think it's like technically like mature. Like they're like, they're going out into the world. Like they're leaving school. They're going out into the world, like making adult choices, but they're teenagers. So whatever that is. I am obsessed with the relationship in this book. And I think you will be too. And I'm not going to say like too much about it because spoilers, but uh, we start off with Daniela Vargas, who is at this like finishing school for young ladies. And in this sort of, uh, oh, this, this is like a sort of, you know, second world. It's a little bit fantasy inspired by Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And so like this island is divided in half and on one side are the haves and the other side are the have-nots. And Daniela is at this like school for young ladies, like finishing school to like train them to be wives for intense political figures. And uh, she is theoretically a have, but she has a secret. Like she is sort of like was smuggled into the country. She's got fake papers, but her whole life is to achieve achieve, you know, financial stability and some personal power so that she can help her family who are back on the other side of the wall. And so she is like playing it as safe and by the rules as possible. Like she cannot mess up. There's a lot more than just her own life riding on this. And then she, on the night of graduation, her big moment, she gets approached by this person from a rebel organization that is like, we know that you're a fake. And if you don't help us, we will reveal you. So she's just like caught between a rock and a hard place. Like she has no desire to help these rebels, but she also does not have a choice, a real choice here. Um, And that's complicated. And then everything past that is complicated. She does end up having to be like engaged to this guy who is, you know, unsurprisingly terrible. (laughs) But that's not the relationship that you're going to get. And I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's amazing. And I just love how this this book develops over time like the the one two punch of books one and two in this finished series is like oh mm, chef kiss perfect uh so i think i think you're gonna i think you're gonna really dig it and it is extremely adversarial the relationship at the beginning which is part of why i'm not going to tell you too much more about it because i don't want to spoil the fun uh so again that's we set the dark on fire by taylor k mejia all right, I picked Bonds of Brass by Emily Skretsky, which is a male-male romance, question mark? I'm debating whether or not I'm going <laughs> to call it a romance right now because of the ending. Anyway, I don't want to give that away. Okay, let me let me not. So Bonds of Brass is about a boy slash man that's <laughs> YA-ish. They're like in kind of a military academy, right? So 1920 kind of uh, age. His name is Etienne, and he 
lives on a planet that was invaded by the Umber Empire when he was a child, uh, which destroyed his life. His whole family is dead. His home was destroyed. Um, he was left an orphan who had to, you know, struggle and survive. And he made his way through and then eventually joined the Umber Military Academy. And he is the best pilot in the class. And like, why would somebody join the military of a colonizing force? You could ask that question of several members of the American military. So, you know, survival is the answer. Um, he, while there, has obviously excelled. But he has kind of fallen for, not kind of, he has fallen for his roommate, Gal, who is just this charming you know, one of those sort of golden boy kind of characters that everybody loves. Except everybody doesn't love him because they go on this training run on in their planes and a bunch of their classmates try to kill Gal. Like, it's an assassin assassination attempt. Etienne saves him and gets him off of the planet where the Academy is and then is like, what is going on? <laughs> like, why are all these people trying to kill you? Turns out Gal is the secret heir to the Umber Empire. This is not a spoiler. It is on the back of the book. Um, so... He is the secret heir. It is kind of umber tradition to send the heir off somewhere in secret so that he won't be, you know, in danger of assassination. Obviously, that hasn't worked. And now, obviously, Etienne has complicated feelings about the fact that his love, this guy who he has loved from afar for many, many moons, is actually in charge of the empire that destroyed his home and his family. So he has to decide whether he's going to, you know, like, usher or rather what's not the usher um um i can't think of the word it doesn't matter uh it does matter now i'm annoyed what's the thing where like when your parents come to a school dance to watch you chaperone chaperone he's gonna chaperone gal <laughs> home back to the umber empire into safety or is he going to not do that and try to use him to bring about the downfall of this empire that he has justifiably a lot of negative feelings towards um so it is adversarial in that way that you're asking it's not in the first few pages but as soon as he finds out who gal is it becomes potentially very adversarial and there is many kissings so there you go <laughs> adversarial kissing that's what we're going to rename this book so that's bonds of grass by emily skretsky which is the first book in a trilogy so their their relationship kind of unfolds over you know all the books and that's it that's our show hey all right thank you so much to our audio editor jen zink thank all of you as always for listening you can find more book recommendations at bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen and our wordle inspired merch at bookriot.com slash merch please go leave us a rating and a review on apple podcasts and spotify and thank you to all of our sponsors you can find us on social media i'm on instagram at i'm amanda nelson and jen you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to y'all next week. Bye.